Hi, welcome to PhD Rhapsody, an honest podcast about PhD's life where we share our stories, experiences, and funny moments. Here we talk how PhD changed our life, share our fears and achievements during our scientific research. I'm Martin. I'm Vilda. I'm Adina. Today we're going to talk about conferences with Miguel and Valentin from the University of Oslo. They are the founders of NSRG, which is the Nordic Sedimentary Research Group, which is also the Nordic version of the British Sedimentary Research Group. Okay guys, what are you doing? Just tell us who you are, where you're from, Miguel. why you're here. <laughs> right, so... I'm Mikael Poyatos. I'm a researcher at the University of Oslo, Department of Geosciences. I'm a sedimentologist, um, stratigrapher, both, I guess. I work in several projects, but at the moment I'm working on the uh, Supra Basins project, which is trying to understand the development of very large extensional basins. And um, it's a project sponsored by the uh, Research Council of Norway and a few other companies. I'm happy to, to be here, guys, and, and have a chat with you about uh, whatever you guys want to talk about. Conferences, <laughs> NSRG. Yeah, happy to do so. Yay. And uh, my name is Valentin Sichua. I'm also based in, uh, in Oslo. Actually, I work a little bit with Mikael. Uh, I'm a sedimentologist as well, a sequence stratigrapher maybe, and I'm trying to breach into the world of numerical modeling. Um, I work mainly on tidal deposit. Bigger picture of my research is uh, CO2 storage, and we are part of a big uh, international project, also sponsored by the Norwegian Research Council. Okay. And I'm, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So, how many conferences did you to go? Wow, I don't think I could give you a number, but there's like five or six conferences that are sort of regularly organized, or type of conferences that. Um, I guess I can say I speak for myself that I have attended. So from the largest conferences, which would be like EGU in Vienna or um, APG or AGU in the US to like the winter conference in, uh, in Norway, for example. And then things in between like IIS, PSRG. Valentin, what's yeah, your I'm number? A, I'm a, I think I'm about... <laughs> I think I I might forget one or two, but I should be between 10 and 12 during my PhD. This year has been a bit difficult, I guess, because of COVID. A lot of conferences were cancelled. Didn't go to the very big one like AGU or EGU. First of all, because I, I don't think that there was any session that was really interesting for me. Then the, otherwise, the biggest I went to was probably the International Congress of Sedimentology, which was in Quebec in 2018. It's every four years. Next one will be in China in 2022. Otherwise, from local conferences like the winter meeting to uh, yeah, semi-sub-regional, maybe like BSRG to international one. Why we are going to conferences? Good question. My mainly motivation is to network. You're showing your um, your work, you're showing your research or your results to other people. But I have to say that you normally have like a 15-minute slot to give a presentation or maybe you have an afternoon to, to present a poster. And and if you have like really high expectations on, on the feedback that you're going to get, you can be disappointed. So I think my the best strategy for me is to go there with the idea of networking and let people know what, who you are and what you do. And depending on which conference you go, you might have one type of feedback or another type of feedback. And I think that's something important to bear in mind as well. I think I will... Uh... Yeah, jump on that. In terms of, oh, you know, what, what kind of presentation do you want to give? Do you want to have a poster or do you want to have an oral presentation? If you want feedback, the most efficient way of doing it is by having a poster. Because if the poster session is good, you will have the chance to have a much deeper conversation with maybe less people, but actually people who really care. So if you want feedback about your work and something which is maybe unfinished, or I think I would definitely go for a poster. Whereas oral presentations will give you a bigger audience, but much l more limited feedback. Yeah, 
I think you showcase your, your, for example, exactly. if you have a paper, it's good to present it orally because it's already like been polished. But also I think it's a very good strategy to think who you want feedback from in a conference. And even if you give a presentation or if you have a poster, if you know a few of the people that will attend the conference and you know particularly that person that you read the papers, that you're very interested in the opinion of this person, you go find this person, you introduce yourself, and then you ask for direct feedback. So you, you bring this person to your poster or you ask this person if this person has some time for a coffee break and then you show the presentation directly to this person. I think that's so far been the most efficient way for me to get like feedback from the people that I really want to get feedback from. Do you have any success stories about this in terms of uh, getting feedback from a specific person? Has it evolved to some sort of scientific relationship in a way? I met quite a few co-authors and people I ended up working with actually at conferences, either by chance, first conference, because you walk along the poster and then suddenly you realize you have somebody who works in the, you know, the similar area, similar, and you start to have a discussion with them. And for me, that turned out to that at least three co-authors that I met uh, at the conference that turned out into uh, one publication. Two publication because I'm co-authoring theirs now. Well, actually, three because there's third publication now. Um, and so that's one. And then the other one is Gail introduced me to somebody very important to me, which turned out now to be my uh, fiance. Ooh. So, uh, yeah. so networking can also be successful in a, on a private level. Okay, but congrats. That was, yeah. that was one of the juicy um, <laughs> yeah. things we were waiting of, uh, to give, Val, but uh, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> The best gift that Miguel could yeah. give. No, okay. sorry. But uh, scientifically speaking, if, it's, if it doesn't turn out into publications in terms of brainstorming and new ideas, it's conferences are very, very good for that. Do you have like a pickup line to meet other scientists? I always feel it's really weird. I have is to, be ID, with but... some, is to be with someone who knows a lot of people. And to me, that like Mikel, for example, Mikel knows a lot of people. Mikel has already a network very well established. It's quite easy when you see Mikel talking with someone, you can go with it. So if you have somebody like this, it's actually very useful. Yeah, I'm, I want to see myself as the kind of facilitator sometimes. You know? <laughs> no, but, but, no, but jokes aside, I guess it depends on, on how you are as well. I, I mean, I don't have any issues at introducing myself to people that I don't know. But of course, that is a personality thing. And But if you know that you're not good at this, but you know someone who is, that is the person that you have to tag along and then try to get yourself you know, introduced to the people that you want to talk to. There, there are other ways that make it simpler, and that is something that I can advise because it's been very successful for me, is to propose sessions in conferences, and particularly sessions in conferences that are small. Because in small conferences, you don't feel the pressure or you don't, you don't feel that you have to achieve something to chair a session. If you want to, for example, I've done this several times in IAS, you just try to contact by email, which is something really impersonal and easy to do. You contact like three or four people that you admire for the work they do in your topic. And you propose them to chair a session together. In 90% of the cases that I've done this, the answer was positive. And that is already an excuse that introduces you in a very nice way to these people that you really admire. And that's that's something that has worked out for me significantly uh, in, in the past. But of course, that comes with trying to go to the right conferences for these kind of things. But you also should be not like a first year of PhD. It, it depends on the conferences, actually. Um, yeah, okay. BSRG, for, for instance, uh, is um, the, the British Sedimentological Research Group. And they have this annual general meeting. And for a few years now, they are encouraging really young scientists and young researchers to, to propose sessions. And they are even like enforcing older researchers to ho also have younger researchers with them. The, yeah, BSRG is, I think, the, it's the perfect launching scene for a sharing session. Small and medium size conferences is the best. Yeah. So we well, came to this topic where which one to go, like... Which one is the best? 20,000 people or just a few hundreds? It entirely depends on what you want to get out of that conference, right? Because so... my, my personal experience, I went to EGU and it was just like waste of money because I, was, I went to the, there with the poster. I wanted the feedback, but I just didn't get anything like mm -hmm. just zero. 
Yeah. And it was kind of disappointment. And then I went to the uh, Nordic um, meeting and like winter meeting and I, I just got a like massive feedback. That was like, wow, this is awesome. I would rather go to the smaller than like this big. And So uh, for me to go, if you go to a large conference is more to see what's out there than actually to have high expectations of what you're going to get for me. So I, I prefer to go to large conferences to get a flavor of what's going on in my topic. For example, if you go to, in my case, to APG, there's always like the SCPM dedicated part of, of APG that it was like really like the big guys on sedimentology applied to hydrocarbon industry. They were there. But I went to Vienna and I went to Vienna because I, I co-chaired a session on climaforms. And, and I, I thought that that was like so specific that at least I knew that there were a few people that were going to speak my language. And then on top of that, I could see what's out there in other sciences. And that's also important, even though it might not give you a lot of feedback. It's good to know, you know, other disciplines, what they are doing. Sometimes you meet people from, you know, friends from a long time ago that you never meet at other conferences because they are geochemists or they are environmental geologists or, you know, these sort of things. And that is, I think that's cool too, in a way. Again, I think that it really depends what you want. Uh, because personally, I don't like big conference either because I'm still at the stage of my career where I want feedback. Yeah, I feel the same way because, uh, I mean, last year I went to this super, super small conference, the aforementioned sketchy uh, pay by cash uh, type of conference, which was, I mean, it was in rural Argentina, and I think it was ninety-eight participants, but it was every everyone from like these legends in the field to all the young career scientists. But it was really specific. So for me, I think I got so much, uh, so much feedback that it, it was always almost too much. <laughs> Yeah, these conferences, the problem with these really specific conferences is that you've got to be very lucky that in the period of your PhD, for example, there's one organized in the topic that you're doing or somehow related to what you're doing. Because some of these conferences, they happen like once every four years or maybe every six years. And there's another important consequence of some of these conferences that they tend to have associated special publications. And it is important then to be there because you might get to publish with all these big names in a volume that you know some people are gonna are gonna look at because these other names are there too. You know that that happened to us in a in a conference in London that was called Paralic Reservoirs. It was in the Burlington House in London, really small, and we had all the popes of shallow marine sedimentology there sitting, and some of them sent papers. Perhaps they were not like the best uh, they had, but. Yeah, their names were there. Our name was there. So that gives us a bit of a extra publicity, right? I was just wondering, because you're talking about big and small and medium conferences, but for someone who just started a PhD, like how big is a big conference and how small is a small one? Like, Do you have any numbers? Just to... I think, well, IAS, to me, which was my first conference, and it's this International Association of Sedimentology Conference, and it was a to me, it, was a, it felt like a very big one when I went there. It's about 800 people, I think, 800 or 1,000 people. PSRG is a medium size. It's usually between, what, two to 300, 400 yeah, maybe? Tops. Something like that, max. GU is, what, nearly 30,000 people? Yeah, 20 at least. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's well, great. But then again, it's the whole world of geoscience as well. It's exactly. not just sedimentology. But the whole world comes with all these like new advances, new technologies that they show in this conference. And, and I, I thought that some of this stuff was really, really cool. And even just for, for the sake of curiosity, I found EGU was, was, was interesting because I, I got to, to see like stands from Google, companies like that, that they were showing us the possibilities, the endless possibilities of some of the technology that you will never get in a conference. Like you don't get these things in IAS, for example, even though sometimes you might have some companies there. But the big, the larger companies are not going to go to small or medium conferences. I got the advice when I just started to go to the conferences from Christian, uh, my supervisor. I was like thinking, yeah, should I go to Icebreaker, you know, or should I go to the dinner, like conference dinner? Because, you know, you have to, when you register, 
yourself then you pay a fee for a conference and then you could just add the like, conference year and stuff and he said yeah you definitely should go and meet other people there so do you agree or totally yeah yeah, yeah even though even though you might end up being a little bit disappointed by what you get from the price you pay because that's that's also happened <laughs> times yeah. to us it's never disappointing for the people. It can be disappointing for the price versus the quality of what they, what they give you. I but agree. Uh, absolutely, I completely agree. And I would also advise to try to sit away from the people that you know in conferences totally. and, and in conference dinners because that is really cool. And that is how you make, this is how you lose fear and you just uh, dare to talk and then you end up having one of the best nights that you remember. I totally agree. And always it's a lot of uh, wine or beer stuff. With geologists, yeah. Yes. Well, but this is this is changing, though. This is changing. You have uh, quite a few conferences now. For example, GSA, which, well, now it's going to be virtual. But uh, GSA won't serve any alcohol on the premise of the conference. Why? Um, it's mostly to avoid any kind... Because some people, sadly, uh, don't know how to behave okay. uh, when they drink. And uh, so to avoid any of these issues, I, I don't know if it's also maybe, uh, you know, in the US with responsibility wise, it might cost them a ton of money if suddenly they deem responsible. So I don't know if it's the details because of that, but it, it is some conference are going alcohol free. I think it's that's a complete other debate. Uh, but uh, yeah, long story short, the, these uh, mingling events are super important, I think. For example, in Quebec. The conference that Val was talking about, I was part of the early career committee of the IAS uh, that started in Marrakesh in 2016. That's another thing that I really encourage people to do is just to get enrolled in committees, especially when you're at the beginning of your PhD, because, of course, your responsibilities are much lower then and um, you're not pushed by time. So you have more time to do these sort of things. And it's a great way to, to get people to know you, to know people. And yeah, so in Quebec, we were responsible to organize a few activities for early careers. And they were like complete successes. It was really, really good. And not uh, a social one, but you also organized these uh, like round table of discussions mm -hmm. about scientific topic. And uh, yeah. it, it was, no, it was, a, it's, a, it's a great, great, great yeah. success. I know what I, why I also like conferences, because I remember when I went to first time in the PSRG, when, where we actually met for the first time uh, in 2018, it was um, field courses, you know, like before, before the conference. So you could come a few days early and just go to the field that you will never go actually, you know, to that part. And just to see like some classic outcrops. I liked it so much. And we're not sponsored by a BSRG to say anything about them. <laughs> but uh, I have to admit that the field trip they run, I mean, when you compare in like the APG field trip they run, which costs several thousand dollars, which are impossible to pay if uh, for PhD students. And then you go to these, you know, it's, well, it might not be a week of uh, field course, but still, you know, given by world-class scientists either at world-class outcrop or, or course or whatever for uh, the, this price, it's just, it's un, un, unbelievable. So yeah, to, no, totally. Yeah, it, I agree. And, and it's also another way to get to know people. And that is very, very important because you join activities with, uh, with fewer people before the conference. And when the conference starts, you already wave at this person at the end of the corridor, blah, blah, blah. How are you doing? Then you see the poster. Then you talk with this person about his or her poster. You know, and, and it's a way to sort of warm up, so learn, you know, so it's great. And I mean, also these field trips are great because let's say now you have a field trip about the parallax deposits. That means that people who attend this are interested in parallax deposits, which means it means that they're probably somewhat related to what you do. So that's also super cool to then start chatting and then maybe you end up co-authoring something at a later stage or grants uh, you know anything so yeah no totally do you have any funny stories from conferences stories that can be told <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well yeah i mean of course the classic i'm dancing in a dance floor with my supervisor you know type um thing 
for example. That's a that's a classic one. Um, yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember one of my best conferences, and again we're going back to BSRG. Um, <laughs> in Dublin, 2012, I was just um, doing my PhD in Spain, and I I was I didn't know a lot about conferences and so on. And I was invited to give a, a, a talk in, in Dublin. You can imagine that a combination between BSRG and Dublin, you, the outcome, right? Now, now I know, but before I didn't. So we had, um, so there was so much booze in the poster session that we couldn't finish the, the alcohol. So I remember people walking, <laughs> walking out of the conference building with bottles of wine under the coat. <laughs> yeah really pretty sad i have to say but at the same time that's something i would have never imagined i would say like not being able to drink all the alcohol in a poster session uh, was... <laughs> we we had the other way around in toulouse i don't know if you you were there right michael yeah, yeah you were there of course you were there so the conference dinner was organized at one of these uh, conference dinner venue where they host a lot of conference dinners i guess and they run out of wine at nine o'clock in the evening just after the main course was served and because they they were like well we've never had geologists before <laughs> and you guys drank the normal amount that everybody gets and oh my god <laughs> do we have did, a problem did they run to to the store or? no no they no? they said we have not we you, you drank all we have nothing here for you so uh the conference dinner went end up very uh very abruptly then people went to town but yeah uh, just imagine you are a PhD student and you're kind of tight on, on the budget. There is conference that you really want to go. How to find money? Is grants. There... Grants. Right. They are so easy to get. Like uh, IF has a grant very easy to apply for for students. Uh, SCPM. I mean, SCPM is, is ridiculously easy. You need to send them... So if you need to find a bigger um, conference, IS or ACPM, you can write to them. And if you have an abstract, which is accepted, you can send them the abstract. And SCPM, they literally wire transfer you $500 on your bank account. They don't ask question, you know, for receipts, for anything. They just send you $500. That's awesome. Yeah, I've never applied for the IS one, but it, it, it's a similar thing. It's extremely easy to, uh, yeah. to get one. I think IAS, I'm not sure if it works. Like you have to basically send the, the, the receipts and then they, 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 and they yeah. pay back. Many of these conferences, uh, so these associations, that ha they have a lot of money. I mean, IAS is a very good example. IAS is really wealthy in this respect. So there is a lot of grants to go to conferences. and to G GSA as well in the US. You just need to look at the on the website probably, right? If it's yeah. more or less big conference or you should you should look on the association website normally they will list the conference they will give ground for and i'm really interested in how you end up with the nsrg idea and why did you do you, that you heard us talking a lot about bsrg and how we appreciate this conference and it's not only because of the you know the great feedback you get the scientific content which is much much higher than a lot of uh, conferences at the moment Michael, you did a postdoc in manchester so you've seen firsthand really how the community i mean and then you guys also you went to bsrg you saw how the young community how the young researchers they all know each other they all work together they all you know go in the field together they they and for us i mean albina we met in it's stupid we work in the same country in norway but we met at an international conference yes so when we came back from i think it was the first bsrg we talked with a another colleague of mine or a colleague of us anna van Nieperen, and we just said that there's something wrong going on in scandinavia in general that you don't know what the other you don't know who people are you don't know what they are doing you don't know we don't have anything like this and even if we meet at the winter meeting eh, there's nothing so this is why we started we wanted to emulate what we saw in in bsrg i mean bsrg how old is bsrg for 50 or 60 years old or not? 70. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go back 
like to the 50s. I yeah. Think, so, I mean, there is no way that we can suddenly in a couple of years be able to, to set up something like this. But the idea behind it was really to bring people together, people who work in sedimentology or sedimentology associated fields in Scandinavia or like the greater Scandinavia, well, Nordic countries, if you want also, including the, the Baltic countries, Iceland. That was the aim. As of now, the aim is, I would say, partially achieved because we are okay in Norway. We're getting people in Norway. We do have, and people in England also, because again, people in England know BSRG, so they know the benefit of having something like this. But we are still trying to get other uh, countries involved in uh, NSRG. We need to keep working on that. Uh, how do you see NSRG in 10 years? Well, hopefully being able to run a conference just as good as the BSRG one. That would, it, uh, it depends pretty much. I think one of the secrets of success for BSRG is fidelity and stability of those who attend BSRG. So for example, I can tell that if in 10 years time, I will still be in Norway and I will have people working with me, like younger people, I would promote that these people go to NSRG. And that is how BSRG works. And that is why it's so successful is because you see people from many generations and you see PhD supervisors of your PhD supervisor that are there, or, or you know, that's, that's how they met with the other colleagues. And just, it's already like a generation of people that have grown up going every year to BSRG. And it has developed like a sort of a family bonding. There's, there's really like, there's a personal, I mean, in my case, I, it's the time of the year that I go to see the people that I met when I was in Manchester. It's like family already, you know, it's so nice because it's also so relaxed that then you can present things that are unfinished because you get honest feedback. Uh, you have a lot of fun. It's so nice. It's like a place to come back, you know. That will be so great in, in Norway. Of course, we're smaller here, which should actually make it easier in a way. It's a couple of countries, so I think... That yeah. maybe is the reason. I mean, you have, of course, um, the idea that we had is that we, we will involve everyone in uh, sort of the Nordic countries, started by Norway. But, um, you know, if we put the other countries also, the community working on sedimentary geology is way smaller than in the UK. Um, so that should make it easier to achieve in theory. What uh, people should do, for example, let's just imagine some people outside geology scientists, they just listen to us and they're like, this is a good idea. How to start? Plan? Proposal? How bureaucracy works? I'd say first, make a core group of people you know are efficient at because uh, it's a lot of work, to be honest. Even when we started in SRG, it, it took a few months. You know, we all have PhDs or postdocs or whatever on the side. So it's you need to find a group of people that are willing to work after hours. That's the first thing. So you need to be very uh, motivated and have a, a very practical thing you want to achieve. You know, you don't don't start to go aiming at the sky because let's make one event, one meeting, and we'll build from there. So that would be the first goal. The second is really try to be as non-specific as possible and who you want to uh, target. And well, you want to be specific, but for example, NSRG, we try very hard. Sedimentology in Norway is still very much oil related. And it's something that NSRG didn't want to be. We didn't want to be just another one of these oil research group, if you want. We reached out to geochemists. Uh, we reached out, so working, geochemists working with sediments. We reached out to a quaternary geologist with a, I would say, a quite limited success. But, and it's just keep going, keep hammering people, sending them email, reminding them, to, uh, yeah, don't be afraid to, I would say it would be best to send one email too much than one email not enough. Uh, we're not the best. I'm not the best at doing what I do. I'm learning as we go. And I think the secret really is to be a good team of very motivated people. Yeah, commitment, because mm. this is voluntary work entirely. I am even sure that we're not going to see a, a functional NSRG in the short term, but it's going to be an NSRG. And if this can be delivered to some of the people that can make it a little bit better and better and better until eventually it becomes something so normal and automatic, it has its own like motion and it's fine. But I, I've been part of cultural associations back in Spain and I know that it always takes a group of people that are slightly less motivated to, to almost destroy everything that you've really achieved. Commitment is something really important. And, and sometimes it, it just takes one or two people push and, and then eventually the other people will click and they will 
will contribute with, with some more commitment and, and the right people, I guess, the right people on board. Now you're saying it, and uh, I think we started this podcast going out and stuff, and then three of us, and I thought, yeah, that would be easy, and we will just launch our first episode in the beginning of September. We are so cool, and we will do it. And you know what? We still <laughs> didn't launch any of it. <laughs> and it took so much work and time. And I totally understand what you're saying. RG is like Nordic's Inventory Research Group. So it means that we as a group do it also like contribute. We should be more active. That's why we should probably see NSRG a bit more maybe. Like, you know, or... Yep. Do you Absolutely. want to, uh, do you want to uh, make NSRG <laughs> podcast? <laughs> let's just uh start with this one and then we could we could talk <laughs> no i i completely agree but i think another another thing that is important to bear in mind is that you have to have expectations that are realistic as well and don't be too hard on yourself if things get like really busy and you cannot really achieve i mean as long as there is something going on even if it's a small thing if there is something going on like a discussion or like a workshop being planned or the AGM, you know, as long as you have a little bit of a goal and you keep going, some days you're going to feel like, or some during, during some years, perhaps it's going to be really active because the people are going to be pushing really hard. And then some other years, it's going to be a bit less. I mean, we know that we're, we're going through a, a difficult year and uh, everyone is kind of struggling in its own way, sometimes to find even motivation and to organize the time. And, and it's been hard for a lot of people. Um, and of course, NSRG is not, a, it's not different because it's, it's organized by people and, and we also have all the, all the troubles to, to deal with these days. So what I mean is that we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves if NSRG hasn't been as active as we thought it would be. We just have to keep going. I think that is the I think that's the secret. Just keep going. This idea you guys had that you made something out of it, it's, uh, you know, it's brilliant. So, you know, in, in, in a way, this is what we wanted to do with NSRG and now we have it and that is great. And now, as Mikael said, just, you know, one step at a time. And uh, I guess, well, if we need to uh, find excuses for NSRG this year being a little bit uh, low and slow, it's, uh, you know, the, the, um, the problem is, well, first of all, all the kind of physical meetings, they, they just don't, doesn't, they don't happen. And then the virtual world is pretty saturated you know what i mean like there are so many webinars seminars so we thought at some point can we have uh, you know some online conferences maybe you know because people wanted to maybe go to a conference and meaning they have material they want to present and that didn't that didn't work so uh, you need to find a way to be a little bit more i don't know maybe original and give people the freedom to sit in front of the screen in a way. And this is the, at least this is the policy we, we, uh, or the, the road we took. And, but then you rely again on the, not only on your motivation to set up something, but you rely also on the, uh, the activity of your members. Yeah. The agendas, because yeah. everyone is swamped in webinars, mm. courses, comp yeah, tutorials, uh, online, um, talks. And and I think NSRG should be something that doesn't no, doesn't make thing doesn't make people think that oh I have to go to the NSRG thing. No, it should be something useful and cool. So if that takes a little bit more time to plan, and if we have to, you know, not have as many activities as we thought we will have, I don't think it's a big deal. The important thing is that we are here and we are moving, and we we want to do we want to keep doing things. So that is the important part. I think when you when we set up an SRG, also we had so many, you know, like you, you again. I mean, so many plans, so many things you want to do, and uh, but then you realize you can't. First of all, you can't organize everything. It's just it's just not possible. And then second, also you need to push your members to propose things to do as well. You can't always come yourself with something with a plan. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So this is also something we try. We want to have is. Like uh, yeah, exactly. Now suddenly you have this magnificent outcrop you've been looking at, you know, and or this incredible seismic you've interpreted or whatever. I think our goal is that you feel like an SRG is the place to share your things. It's already in your brain. It's not us to run after you and be like, hello, it's an SRG. Do you have uh, something for us, please? We are at this stage yeah, still, yeah, because we're trying to get the wheel rolling, but... I think one of the goals is basically to 
be this open space and safe space for people to share their things in a way. But I would think like, ah, oh, these guys are too too good for me. <laughs> no, no, please, please, please. You know, it's uh, it's a it's a good occasion to get feedback as well. Uh, you'll always have grumpy people saying uh, bad things about what you do, but uh, it's uh, it, yeah. I I really hope that if or when you're gonna share your things <laughs> on NSRG, that you won't have a negative uh, feedback from anyone. Quite because that because at the end that is the thing. So when and linking it to what we said about conferences, mm -hmm. we tend to think that something that is presented in a conference needs to be something really finalized and really nice and shiny and well-looking. And I think that is, it is it is okay in some conferences, but that's not only why conferences, what conferences are for. I mean, you if you want like honest feedback, you might, you, you need that feedback. And if you need the feedback, it's because something isn't finished, right? So, why would you present something that is already done and polished and beautiful if you are no longer able to implement any changes? So a lot of people, they go and present papers to conferences. And that is fine if what you want is citations. But if what you want is feedback, it doesn't make sense to present something that is finalized. And I, and I think that is what NSRG should try as well, to encourage young researchers, young PhDs to start presenting stuff in a very, as Val said, safe environment with people being uh, nice sure, and yeah. honest, but at the same time caring, you know, caring a bit about what you say and, and, and so on. And I think that, that that should be way. I agree. I remember I went to, again to BSRG and went to conference like 10, year, uh, 10 days after BSRG. And it was just, I just finished, was, it was, I was in the first year. So, of course, I didn't do much. I was doing courses, like, you know, this and that and stuff. Of course, I didn't have, like, a proper presentation with proper results. So, Christian said, you know, you have to go and present your project. And Absolutely. what, yeah, what you have been doing all this time, it's not finished, of course, but that's, how you promote your project you promote yourself and like you you know you're showing up and people will see you and there and then they will see you next year and then you have like three four years PhD right you so you might go only three or four times so more is better so I think it's also good just to go without any like finished work and, and, and bring yeah. business cards sorry sorry love. go ahead no I, I, sorry I just wanted like a, for bring business cards to conferences it's uh, it's because uh, you meet so many people yes. and you'd be like oh of course i'm gonna remember this person and then two hours later you're like you have no idea what the name was so bring business cards and give it to people yeah now that you say that i've seen conferences where people are extremely original and you have another thing that you can do in conferences is to look at what other people do and for example some people, they print out their CVs and they put them next to the posters uh, or like an abstract or like a printed version of your poster on DNA3 that people can take it and they can look at it with more time and they can contact you. And these things, you never know. But if, if you don't try, it, it's not going to work, right? So I remember at APG, I, yeah, I ran out of paper copies and, and because I had a paper that I wanted to promote. And I remember people took the manuscripts like crazy. You know, think, things like that. Like try to be a little bit... Try to QR think. code. I've seen a guy, I mean, you know, again, once the ID is, uh, is out there, sometimes it's a bit overused for everything. But this guy, basically, he did. He had a QR code on his poster that you could just uh, take a photo of your phone. And then it was a video of him presenting the poster if he was not there. That's pretty good. What? Yeah. That is like, another level. No, exactly. Because, you know, again, um, I'd say two things. People also saw posters as being like kind of a lesser type of presentation, like which is, I think, completely stupid. But it takes time and experience to make good posters. My first poster is absolute crap, I think, looking back at it. It's not good. And so it takes exercise. It takes feedback. And a little bit of originality 
a little bit, not too much, because then you kind of have too much like a Hollywood style in your face show, and it can have a bit of a counter effect. But uh, no, I, I I highly encourage every young researcher to have at least one poster in there during their PhD, at least one. But having said that, you've got to be very careful to pick the right conference to present yes. the poster. Mm. Because there are conferences that are famous for not being <laughs> necessarily good at um... how to know that. How to know that? It it's it, it's never there. Like you talk know, talk to like... people. Talk to people. Yeah, who you went just there. have to talk to people that are more experienced than you. That's mm. the only way. Or mm. experience it yourself. Yeah. That's a, okay. Maybe we should, do, you know, we should do do like a website where we put like all um, <laughs> conferences tips. and like you know, like put the rating and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And maybe tips. it exists. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, some tips like uh, in this conference it's not worth presenting a poster da, 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 da. I, yeah. I don't think i would i would ever say that but but yes the problem the problem also you might you might have a conference which is always amazing and then you go to that special location where they because let's for example take like is is organize a conference they change cities all the time so they change also the venues and sometimes you can end up in absolutely amazing place organization which is like just perfect and then you can go to places and it's an absolute shit show yeah IAS is particularly a, a one that is very very difficult to predict but other <laughs> we conferences should, we that... should put that on the website <laughs> no no honestly unpredictable I mean, <laughs> but this is not because IAS is not trying hard to do things well of course they are but it, it depends on so many variables that they can't control and, and, and IAS for me is one of my favorite conferences and I always try to contribute to the conference and I always give feedback and that is very important as well, to give feedback to the people that organize the conference instead of complaining all day long about how things don't work. You just go to the right people who are organizing it and you tell them, listen guys, if you want, I have a few things that I, that I would like to share with you and, and they, they, will like, they will very likely appreciate that. Having said that, for example, APG used to be one of the best conferences to have posters because they gave you three posters. Yes. Three posters that were really long. So you had almost like your own booth. Mm, yeah. so you, everyone would just come and you would just show everyone and it was your little space. And then from one year to the other, they changed it. And, and I think now they, don't, they no longer have this amount of space. But um, so that's things that, you know, they happen how they happen. Right. So some conferences are a little bit more difficult to predict, but you have others that posters are good. Just a quick question. What do you guys prefer, horizontal or vertical posters? I prefer vertical. It's, uh, I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's easier to read. Like you read a letter, it's vertical. You read the journal, it's vertical. Uh, I prefer vertical. Like it, de it depends on the venue again and that's something that you're not going to know until you get there unless it's every year in the same conference venue like egu in vienna for example egu in vienna you know exactly how the posters will the posters will be displayed right so you know how much space you have and then you can think of you want it horizontal or you want it vertical the, the good thing about having landscape oriented is that in a vertical oriented poster, you have to go very high or very low. And if you're in an horizontal poster, you don't have to go up and down and you can allow more people laterally to look at the poster at the same time. Whereas vertical poster sessions tend to be very crowded. And, and then you can have one person next to you and then you're touching the other person and you cannot even, you cannot even point what you want to show. So, so you have a lot of that too. Good point. <laughs> But it depends on the venue, really. And, um, and uh, as I said, that's sometimes a gamble. But they usually put the size of the posters. No? Sure, but they won't tell you how tight or narrow the place where the posters will be, for example, mm -hmm. unless you know in advance that this yeah. is the same conference venue than and, previous years. And sometimes even when the, the worst is when they do this like a zigzag uh, uh, panels basically yeah, that, these are the worst because the then basically it means so this is like a you view from the top it means you have one guy here and then one guy there yeah. and you can't have any you know if you have one person looking at one poster the the other per, the other poster is just hidden yeah and it's gonna be crowded because yeah. it's like 
really, really narrow, right? Now that I read that, you made me remember um, something that I saw in APG. Someone was given, because that's the other bad luck that you can have. Sometimes you're facing the wall. So you're given a really bad spot to have your poster. And sometimes your poster is at the end of the line, facing the wall. No one's passing by. There's this guy at APG that got really, really pissed off because he was given like the, the worst place in the in the conference center. And he decided to take a projector <laughs> and he projected his poster on the wall, like like two meters above the rest of the posters. It was, it was really brilliant. That yeah. is a good uh, thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, it was, it was kind of the form, but <laughs> I thought it was At cool. least you get the attention. So yeah. Uh, Exactly. That's you gotta yeah, you gotta take you gotta make with what you get. Let's, let's put it that way. Yeah, like what to do if you want some, some super bad if if it's if it's if if let's say yeah, well that's a problem because I think quite often people give up on and I've been guilty of doing this. I've given up on poster sessions because it was just terrible, which is a, a bad behavior to have. But as a presenter, if that's the case, you need to go and get the people you want to talk to and you need to drag them to your poster. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's what I said at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just, sometimes you don't really know how people look. So I just, you know, Google before just to see a face. And then if you see that face in the, in the hole, just take them. Yeah. Yeah. And then be like a fan. Be like yeah, a fan. Yeah. Well, <laughs> also don't do the star shock thing because uh I've looked more than ridiculous more than once, being like, Oh my god, this is Gary Hampson. And then the guy's like or Janok Batachari as well. Anyway. Um <laughs> but uh yeah, no, don't do the don't yeah. do the star shock thing if you can. Okay. Really. So be cheerful but not too much. Yeah, and Actually, one of the things, even if, let's say, you, you, you couldn't talk to that person or this and that person because they were too occupied or you were too busy or something, please don't hesitate to send an email afterwards to anyone, really. Worst case scenario, they don't reply. And best case scenario, you get a, a co-author on a paper. Good so uh, an email is free. Uh, I mean, these people, so some, I mean, some of the big name, maybe they never, never reply. But, you know, let's say... Now you have uh, a person X Y that you saw this amazing presentation and you want to talk to him because it's very close to what you do or something like that, but you don't find the time, you can't find the person again, just email, email, like, please don't hesitate. Yeah, I've, I've done this in a long, in a four-day conference or a five-day conference in the middle of the conference, emailing someone to invite this person to your, to your poster. Yeah, I've done that and it, mm. it works. Yeah, person came. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's and awesome. And you, you just, I mean, you get an abstract volume that has, what, 2,000 abstracts. So people don't read at those. But if you send this abstract to this person in particular, and you tell this person, if you're interested, I'm going to be uh, from this time to this time in this poster uh, number. And uh, yeah. Okay, good. Is good there, yeah, is there anything? I don't know if it's part of the thing. But I have to admit that Twitter has, especially for young researcher in geology it has been very very good i'm a newbie on twitter i don't know how to very be good at it but uh, uh i had uh, one of my co-authors turned out to be colorblind in my in the paper i'm writing now so i had to change maps some maps i used and i actually asked people on twitter i made okay well listen these are the four color schemes i have now which one is the best for colorblind people and it worked super well Another thing for young researcher, when you go to conference, don't hesitate to share your things on social media, actually. Mm, yeah. And ask questions before going to the conference on Twitter. Mm. Twitter is never stops. It's 24-7. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's a good idea just to put uh, after a conference, maybe like a link to, to your poster or something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, you're sharing your papers or, you know, uh, anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and I I'm I mean in Bergen now you have two pros of Twitter, so uh, you can <laughs> yes. definitely take a crash course. They're just just crazy. Big, big big guys, big guys in Twitter. <laughs> they can definitely give people a crash course on uh, how to use Twitter properly. Just be there to, uh, twenty four seven. Yeah. Retweet yeah. and tweet. What's the most important thing? Submit an abstract, don't hesitate. Don't be like, oh my God, I don't have enough things. 
don't don't do this just send an abstract and go to conferences yeah networking is one of the most important things in our in our work and for me in particular it has made me get opportunities that otherwise i would have never get and um so networking is an extremely important part of our job and it's how you get to know people that's how people get to know you then some of these people will review your paper and or even they will uh, show this paper to someone else and there you have another citation it's just you know it's keep building up keep building up this network of people I wish we had this talk three years ago when I started my PhD <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully it will help someone mm. go to conference and give each other feedback I think let's say now you're a team of people going take a day a few weeks before going and you present to each other what you have and you give each other feedback and yeah work together it's very very important yeah, yeah. i agree we also have that we sometimes we do that like we have uh, some kind of if it's an oral presentation we do like a small showing of our mm. presentation inside the group supervisor and like colleagues and just you know like just to show and maybe there are no slides number or something like that so it's kind of kind of help helps and these days that we that we do everything digital or a lot of things digital when you do this rehearsing if you record yourself you can then as pal said before with this guy you just put this as a qr code that people can look at if you are not there you know and it doesn't take much it's just recording when you're doing it at home and then you're providing people with this tool that is great because sometimes you're just waiting there for the person to show up and present and they don't they don't come. So you have a lot of that too. Yeah, and a poster is always five minutes, right? Like five, ten minutes. It's not like a full presentation, so it's like a pitch. So. And be open-minded when you go to conferences because you never know. You can even find your fiancé. <laughs> that is a great en- ending. <laughs> thank you for listening, guys. And thank you for Val and Miguel to joining us. It was really fun talking to you guys. And I think, or at least we think, the things that you have done with the NSRG are really, really awesome. And it's such a cool initiative. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for our next episode. Remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram for the latest updates. And send us some conference stories. How did you attend the conference, where it was, and yeah, some feedback. Goodbye! Yeah. So what about Shady Conference, Martin? I mean, Shady and Shady, it was just that uh, because of the fluctuation of the Argentinian currency, yeah, they wouldn't, um, you couldn't make a bank transfer. So you had to (laughs) withdraw money in US dollars and you have to give it to them in cash in the, yeah, in the convolute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.